You're listening to Bedroom Beethoven's, where notable music makers break down stories accompanied by songs and melodies documenting growth through their 10,000-hour journey. And me? Well, my name is Cello, your host. This episode is brought to you by Podcorn, which might be the most valuable resource for all my podcasting peers out there. If you've ever heard an ad on this show, I received it through one portal, one website, one sole marketplace. And I'm very happy to share it with anyone listening who wants to plunge into the world of podcasting themselves. It's really simple. All Podcorn does is connect podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities. This can be in the form of host-read ads, but they also have creative integrations such as interviews, product giveaways, and more. They give you the autonomy to format it the way you want. Because when you work with Podcorn, you never give up any rights to your podcast. And Podcorn is here to support you at every step and ensure you're protected and compensated for the work that you do for brands. I've been working with them all year long, and not only have I built up a good reputation with numerous brands, but let's be honest, I get to make money doing it while still having full control and creative freedom of my podcast. And, uh, you know, that's nice. So click the link in my show notes to sign up to Podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities today or visit podcorn.com. Bedroom Beethoven. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 106 of the podcast. You know, it's no surprise to see a big movie or television star above the title in a Broadway show, but given the love of musical storytelling and pop culture, it's always a pleasure to see the formula in reverse. From big belting his way to Tony Awards to acting on the big screen, this 10,000-hour journey focuses on from the stage to the studio. My guest this week, well, Joshua Henry, why don't you just tell them who you are? You know, I am what you call a Broadway star. I've been doing Broadway for the last 15 years in shows like Hamilton in the Heights. I just just this last year finished doing um, a movie called Tick Tick Boom, directed by Lin Manuel Miranda, and now I am a recording artist. And music has been a really important thing to me. Well, my first love, really, since I was a kid, and um, now is a time where I've decided that I'm really gonna focus on it and and give it. The, everything that it deserves. Not much I can really say about Joshua Henry that hasn't been said already. Maybe a future EGOT? You know, if he conquers music, there really is no ceiling that he can't burst through. So I'm really fortunate to be able to get it on the ground floor of his recording artist career. To talk a bit about how everything goes hand in hand with one another 
and the lessons he has learned throughout. Before we speak, though, I just want to remind you that to support this podcast, if you enjoy it, there's a few things you can do. The easiest being is to rate the podcast five stars wherever it is you stream it and leave some good feedback or head on over to the website, bedroombeethovens.com and buy a shirt or poke around. And lastly, I know these times are hard, but patreon.com slash bedroombeethovens is the quickest, easiest way to support the show. No pressure because like Joshua Henry, I enjoy what I do and we have a passion for what we do here. So the train isn't going to stop. Thank you to everyone. Hope you're safe. Hope you're just having a good week. Enjoy this conversation with Joshua Henry, and don't forget to pick up his new EP on February the 12th. I'm going to be a father. I don't know when this is going to, this airs, but um, in 10 weeks, going to have twins. So I'm going to be a father three times over. Congratulations. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and right now I am just in this moment of just well, as I guess it's because I'm, I'm about to be a, a father again, just having so much gratitude for being able to be an artist, having my music out there, my voice um, and exactly what I want to put out into the world while actually putting something at well, well, my wife puts <laughs> some uh, other life into the world that I had a little something to do with. So it's a real big uh fruitful moment right now in in every way even though it, you know we're coming off a really hard year there's still incredible things around so i'm just counting my blessings right now and with this growing family and everything that's going on in the world are you still in your manhattan apartment you know i am one of the what's the movie the last of the mohicans um <laughs> i we decided to stay um yeah we're staying right now we love where we live in new york and um until further notice, we said, we're going to just ride this year out and see how we feel after that. But I, I just love New York too much. And thankfully, we are able to to be here. I can understand that. I, I read somewhere that New Yorkers are a billion dollars behind rent collectively due to the pandemic. So if you come out of your apartment and you start walking a few blocks, what is the general feeling in New York nowadays? Is there tension in the air? Are they optimistic? Do you sense things going back to normal anytime soon? You know what, Marcelo? You, you, when I walk these these streets right now, it's I think there's an acceptance you know, a lot of restaurants closed. Um, and, you know, my heart is broken for a lot of my just neighborhood mom and pop shops that are just, no, no more. They just can't make it through this winter. At the same time, there's a there's this optimism that things are starting to turn around. And so for the people that have stayed, and now people are starting to trickle, and I really mean that trickle back in, but, you know, the arts, we're starting to get in wind that something might happen this year in terms of live performances. It's not a guarantee. Um, but I think, you know, <laughs> look, with this new leadership right now, I think people are, there's just a new sense of possibility in the air, um, both for New Yorkers and for artists. That's um, refreshing. I know you got this music career. What I wanted to kind of do is kind of focus a little bit on the Broadway stuff so people can kind of understand the man you are and who you are today to appreciate the musician. So 
I read something, and 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 I'm I'm pretty sure it didn't go this quick, but maybe it did. You in high school, you never been in a school production up until that point, and your high school choir teacher named Birgit convinces you to audition. You get the lead. Your performance makes her cry, and she convinces you to do this for a living, and so you do. And if that's true, and it happened that quick, that's spectacular. Well, yes, yeah, you're right. <laughs> that is exactly how it went down, and I think Birgit like. Every couple of months, I just call her a text and just say thank you because that's – I had no idea that I was going to – I had no other plan. I, I was going to be, you know, what do what my mom did. She works in an accounting firm and, yeah, that's exactly how it happened. And if it was not for Birgit, I would not have embarked into musical theater. I didn't even know the term musical theater. didn't know it existed, but I went – the school that I got into that she convinced me to audition for was the University of Miami, the only college I auditioned for. And I got in. And as soon as I got in, Marcelo, like I knew I could just be obsessed with the arts, everything, singing, acting, dancing. And I was already obsessed with music. So I, I found I found the thing that I could just wake up every morning and do for free. And that, you know, so I know I'm really blessed to have found that super early. And from there, my love of the arts and just just kept it just has not stopped. And that was what, 20 years ago now? Which which route did you go at the University of Miami? Because I know there's a difference if you get a BA or a BFA. Do you want theater among other academic classes or do you want to live, work, and breathe theater? My conservatory, there were two ways, and and I was in the school of music. So if I wasn't in the acting class or dancing class, I was in music theory class. I was in ear training class, music history class. Um, so I didn't have many um, academic classes. You know, I had my you know, some English and some psych classes that I didn't do so well in and had to stay <laughs> after an entire summer to finish up. Because honestly, like I said, I knew exactly what, what fed me. I found out just that that freshman year. But some of my other classes suffered and it, it took me a while to find my bearings and not just be, you know, well, I had to focus on these other things outside of the thing that I love outside of my artistic classes. It took me a while and sort of bumped around there. I had to get some tutors to to get by through my college years, honestly. And um, but. You know, it, it all it all worked out. What, was your mom skeptical? I mean, obviously, you moved to New York at a young age to pursue acting, but did she was she kind of secretly hoping you'd have an academia background in math or accounting, or was was the jury still out on going to college and making a living off of this? You know, if my mom was skeptical, she hit it really well. Maybe she was an actress because she just didn't. Like, <laughs> my, my Jamaican parents, you know, look that really doesn't happen. You wonder what act and sing for what? <laughs> What you got to do? But they really did support me. You know, all I remember is while I was in conservatory all the way up to like my first two years of living in New York, my mom would call me and just be like, you, you sure this, everything good? Like I would call her and, you know, I remember my first year living in New York, I would do all these things for free. You know, I would just try to get out to different writers and composers and sing their music. And she was like, are they not paying you? And I'm like, mom, no, they're not. But trust me, I'm I'm investing into who I am and, and my artistry here in New York. I'm making a community and I'm making a home here. Um, and this is what you do. And it, it took a while for her to sort of see, you know, and as I booked show after show, she got more comfortable. I think it the first time she was really like, oh, OK, was when she came and saw me in, in the Heights. And I was 
you know, in the ensemble, but I, I then I went on for a role that I was understudying, the role of Benny in In the Heights that Chris Jackson originated. I think she really got it then. She was like, oh, okay. She saw how the audience responded. She saw how comfortable I was. And there's nothing like letting your, you know, when you understand that your parents understand that you're okay. And that even if you're cooking egg salad and tuna fish, you're living your dream and there's a little bit of evidence of that, then you're like, okay, I'm just glad that they get it. Please promise me you'll guard this with your life. Abuela, I've never seen this much money in my life. Fireworks, the fireworks. Did Godspell come before In the Heights? Yeah, you know, yeah. Godspell was the first professional show I did outside of school. And that was in the fall of 2006, you know? So I was really fortunate to have a gig coming into New York. That's super rare. You know, even though it was only, you know, what, six weeks, it was a gig and it was a really great show. So from there... You know, there's this a, a friend of mine who I just did Tick, Tick, Boom with Lin-Manuel with, his name is Robin De Jesus. He was in Godspell with me and he was doing this little off-Broadway show called In the Heights. And there was an opening to, for an understudy role for, 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 to understudy Benny. And he was like, yo, you should really come in. This show has got some, you know, this really cool writer. His name is Lin-Manuel Miranda. And I was like, okay, cool. Hip hop, salsa. Like I'll audition for that. I go in there and, you know, Lin-Manuel's behind the table, Tommy Kale, and it's their first big thing. Like, they're not, they're, you know, they're not, they haven't arrived yet, but I land that show while I was doing Godspell. And then, you know, from there, the ball started rolling and, you know, you're getting in front of more and more performers and more creative teams. Yeah. So it, it, it got started that way, but it started with Godspell and one, one thing led to another. You just keep saying yes, and you keep um, doing the best work that you can and, and keep focusing on growth. That's what I did my first year and a half here in New York. Yeah, you were working really hard in college in New York. And at the same time, Lin-Manuel was working really hard in Connecticut and wrote in the Heights during his sophomore year at university. And the first thing that he makes out the gate receives four Tony Awards, a Grammy, a Lucille Lotel Award, an Obie Award. So you take him and the universe puts you in the mix and the rest is history. You know, it, when you say it like that, it's just such a quick summation. And, and I love hearing that. And it's true. But what strikes me about what you just said is that the time that it took that he was writing this at university and it took eight, over eight years for In the Heights to, to become the success that it was. Being in the room with him over the last 15 years and understanding that it took another seven to write Hamilton before I even got involved in it, you really get a respect for process. And, and, and as, as artists, you know, you really start to understand that, like, you can't rush this stuff. You can't rush 
what it takes to get to a certain level. You know, all you can do is measure, well, for me, is measure in growth. You get, I'm sure Lin-Manuel will tell you, like he had one draft of in, of in the Heights at one point and then he had another draft and he's like, yes, these songs are improving. You know, as an actor and as a, a singer now, as a recording artist, some of these songs I had for three years and, you know, I would write another stanza in six months and be like, yes, I got that. And one thing leads to another, you know, if you're in this for more than 15 minutes of fame, you understand the OGs will tell you, this is not some, you know, let me see if I can make this happen. You're in this, you know, for as long as you're in this, you give it all you have and you try to just grow every second. And Lin-Manuel really taught me that seeing his journey and coming up alongside him really um, taught me a lot of lessons. Well, you were attracted to it because you saw things about yourself in it, like, you know, the musical genres that you gravitate to. I know that when you were in college, you were studying kind of the black actors before you to kind of get like a blueprint and a read on them. Uh, I'm kind of unfamiliar with Broadway. Are there a lot of black actors and actresses involved in Broadway today? Has it become a lot more progressive in the last decade or so? I know you were the first black actor to star as Billy Bigelow. <laughs> that is true. Yes. Okay. You've done your... All right, Marcelo. I would say, yeah, there are a fair amount of black performers here. I had I studied them before I got here. I studied the ones that were, you know, that had been doing it. Michael McElroy, Chuck Cooper, um, Norm Lewis, and Brian Stokes Mitchell. I was in the music library at school studying their voices, trying to sound like them in a lot of ways before I got to New York. And, you know, I'll say when I, one of the first things that I... Um, one of the people that I was blessed enough to, to be in a show with is Chuck Cooper, who's been in this game as a leading Broadway man for years, years. And I asked him, you know, what are two things that I need to really, you know, I'm like 22 years old. I'm like, just give me two pieces of advice. And the first thing he said is, look, put $5 away for every check you get and try not to ever look at it. And the second thing he said was create your own work, create your own work. And I really took that to heart, you know, just as a lot of my colleagues were, um, Lin-Manuel was. And so for me, hearing that from this OG, Chuck Cooper, I understood that I have to create, keep creating. And that's where the power in this business is. A lot of the Black actors that I know right now, that's sort of, you know, especially in this moment, that's what we're trying to do. You know, we're trying to write as much as possible. We love performing like, you know, all, all performers do. But, you know, if you look at the the Tyler Perry's, the Shonda Rhimes, you know, the power in entertainment and, and in Broadway is in writing and telling your own narrative, controlling that. And so that's what I've been putting a lot of my energy into in a lot of ways um, as a recording artist and as a, you know, a writer of plays and musicals and and uh, and you know screenplays. So that's that's what uh, that's what I've been about, especially in the last you know year or so, and a lot of my colleagues as well. Yeah, I know that Lin Manuel when he when he was like eighteen or nineteen, he was very conscious of the way Latinos have been portrayed before on stage. He was Bernardo in sixth grade. He directed West Side Story his senior year in high school. I think he saw Paul Simons, the Kate Man, his senior year in high school, and he said that it, it broke his heart. Not so much for the show, but the fact that it was 40 years after West Side Story and Latinos still had knives in their hands and they were gang members. So he made a real effort to uptake, 
update that typecast with something more progressive and realistic. So I, I love because to Because a lot see of people it. just don't know. A lot of people, you know, here in New York City, they've never been north of Harlem. So they didn't understand what In the Heights was, what Washington Heights was. You know, I, I, I in 2016, I did a show called Shuffle Along, um, which is a revival of a musical that was produced, written, and starring all Black folks. And it talks about, talked the way that they spoke, talked about their struggles um, and used the syncopated rhythms that they used in, in the music that they listened to and wrote. And, you know, that's that's how you, you know, take control of, of your narrative and, and let people know, you know, let, let people know exactly who you are and, and why, I mean, why it's important to care. And all that success, like it probably lent itself to eventually the Hamilton mixtape, where everyone from Tupac to Queen Latifah, The Roots, Alicia Keys, Busta Rhymes were part of. Were there any conversations of having you participate in the Hamilton mixtape? Oh, you know, <laughs> yes. I think at that time, perfectly honest, like they were like, "Yo, let's get these big, you know, music acts right now involved in this." Um, so no, I would say at that time, no, but. I'll say that it was really, I think it was really smart because what they did is get the people who in hip hop and R&B are hitting in mainstream music, right? So like when you do that, you expand the world of musical theater, you expand the genre, you open it up and then you garner respect for it in a way that, you know, it's not just this, this club of musical theater. Now Hamilton is literally mainstream. I think the album has gone, if it's not diamond, it's like at least five times platinum. That was really smart. Although, you know, it would have been nice to, to get on the track. I can't complain though, because I did that show. I did Amber in Hamilton for a year and a half. I opened the Chicago cast and I did it, you know, for nine months in, you know, in LA and San Francisco. So I had an amazing run with him. Yeah, I, I get it. It's all about the names. It's just when I heard that you were going to be a recording artist, I was thinking like, you know, anyone who would get on stage and belt out Rodgers and Hammerstein songs, they're, they're, they they're got to be nasty talented. Why don't we hear about more people making the transition to a music career? It's not like a TV actor compared to a movie actor, right? I, I don't even know what a good analogy would be. You know, th- that's a really good question. Though. I mean, you, you, there are... Look, I, I've one of the, what, what I've put a lot of energy into is keeping in touch with music. And by music, I mean not just musical theater. I mean listening to the radio, what the charts are doing, and actually being in bands throughout my the last 25 years of my life. And I think, you know, when you when you stay connected to music, you know, you you understand what it, you get respect for R&B, for hip hop, for soul. And yes, for Rodgers and Hammerstein as well, the Gershwins. And so my love for music has been the thing that like has allowed me to do these different shows. Thankfully, make a name for myself as someone that's really versatile. So if you want to call me to do a American Idiot on Broadway when Billy Joe Armstrong is, is starring, then like I can get you that sound. Or opera. And now as, you know, people are finding out both as in the way that I sing and as a writer that like I can do these different things.
I'm glad that I kept my my finger to the pulse of what was actually happening in music and not just in musical theater. Um, I think it's helped me a lot. That's what I'm talking about. Because I was thinking, you can't just take a, the lead actor in, in Les Mis and put him in a studio with Quincy Jones and you have a hit album. There's got to be more to it than that. There, yeah, there, there really is. You got really, <laughs> <laughs> to really come into the... I tell you, right now, I've been in the business for 15, 16 years now in entertainment. And when it came to being a recording artist, I come into it like a child. You know, I this is a world that I don't know and I want to be surrounded by people that do know even though I'm I'm a great musician, I'm a great singer, but it's a whole art unto itself. And I'm not just going to think just because I've, I've got Tony nominations and Grammy nominations in, in this world that like, oh, I know how to do this. You know, I, so I go into sessions, I keep my mouth shut and I learn like I'm learning how to speak. Um, and then I speak up when I'm supposed to. But, um, you know, yeah, I respect music, the world of music so much, and I'm, and I'm so excited to get even deeper into it. Well, the character that you played in Hamilton is one that Leslie Odom Jr. also played. Leslie okay. Odom Jr. just released a big Christmas album, and the secret sauce of that project is the secret sauce in yours as well. And I don't think that could be a coincidence. So Nephew is a Grammy Award-winning producer, composer. He's worked with Michael Jackson, Kendrick Lamar, Justin Bieber. So, I mean, if you're going to work with a producer... That's not a bad resume. Let me tell you something. That nephew, <laughs> that nephew got me right. He's in. He's a phenomenal producer. Um, last year we were just. He was in L.A. and I'm in New York, and we're sending tracks back and forth. I was so inspired by the ideas that he would send over. It was just a dream collaboration. And I say that one of the things that he really pushed me to do was to use my entire voice. And I, when I mean that, I, when I say that, I mean. From like the depth of my baritone richness to the highest falsetto that I got, you know, he really encouraged me to use the entire thing, which is a different message that you get than when you usually go into places. You know, I've been in record labels to say, "Hey, what's going on? You know, or can we work here?" And they they're like, "Oh, are you so you want to be Brian McKnight? Oh, okay, so you, are you trying to be Usher? Oh, oh you trying to be?" But nephew really encouraged me not to think like that, and so the result in this, in the music that I'm releasing now, um, in this EP that's coming out very soon, is you get a lot of different colors. You definitely understand that the lane is is a soulful R&B, but there's a lot more colors than just stay, you know, staying in one lane. So nephew really helped me in that way. Well, every song on the on the album except one was your musical idea. So that must have been a doozy of an idea that kept the entire project from being your idea. So tell me about that anomaly <laughs> that kind of crept in. You know what? Yeah, this song called "Stand Up" that uh, nephew and uh, this incredible writer named Sebastian Cole, who also works a lot with Leslie Odom Jr., he wrote that song, and it was originally um, released by the OJ's in 2014, I believe. But I heard the demo of this song "Stand Up." And, you know, the first lyric, turn off the TV to avoid the news. It just gripped me. Turn off the TV to avoid the news. Look up to heaven because I'm so confused. Another child lost in the city. No place to go. Because, you know, at just been times, you know, like as we all have where you just don't want to hear any bad news. 
but it's not a pessimistic idea it's in this song it's an optimistic one that says i know that if we stand up together we can make something incredible happen That's a message that I can completely get behind. It's the energy that I want to try to put it onto the world, not one of apathy, but that we can grow into what we don't know. And it's possible. It's possible to make your community, wherever you are, your office, your home office, a better place. You know, if we lean into love and stand up and take actions to make the world better. I had no idea the OJs uh, were making music as recent as seven years ago. Homie, I didn't know either. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that- you better have staying power. All right. Come on, OJs. <laughs> so when you're in Hamilton, you're singing the words written by someone else or any production of that matter. And now you're making music and the content within is about you. It's about your wife. It's about your relationships, the ups and downs. So now you're, now you're vulnerable and you're sharing a part of you. And now that you've shared your music with the world, your heart, your feelings, do you ever see yourself going back to being a private person or have you found joy in sharing yourself through music, acting and more with the general public? Like maybe you learned about a whole new side of yourself. That's a great question. You know, I, um, I, I found so much freedom in writing this album that I haven't felt in doing shows because, you know, it's, I, it's completely myself. And I, look, I've been in a relationship for, I've, 15 years now, 16 years going on with my wife. You know, I'm a father, got a three-year-old now. I've, it just feels good to have gone through some stuff, gone through some hard times, um, lived a lot of life, have a lot of experience and be okay with sharing. There's just so much power in it. I'm a Brene Brown fan <laughs> and she talks a lot about vulnerability and, and what it means. And there's, there's so much power in, in being able to say, hey, can you hold me? I need to be held, but please don't hold me back, which is the first song that I came out with last year, my first debut single. There's so much power in being able to talk about my, my son, you know, and not knowing all the answers to being a good father, but still being excited about whatever the future holds, although I know I might mess it up in some way. You know, there's power in talking about that. I know that it's been therapeutic for me and I hope it is for other people, but I also hope that they can also jam along too. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's one thing to be talking about these, you know, myself, but I want to, I want to make that hopefully I want to make that popular, you know, let's make vulnerability the, the new, the new thing. You know, I, I think we're, we talk about that word a lot right now, but I certainly have embraced it and Look, well, if, if the time comes when I can't walk around my neighborhood and, <laughs> and we'll address that, you know, if the music pops off the way that we hope it will. But um, right now it feels really good. I have no doubt, man. I, I love the, the songs that I have heard. Um, and I, so far we've covered the hard work, the journey that has gotten you to where you are, your support systems and the people you've worked with. I think all that's left is anything that I missed about the album. You, you have the floor to tell people where they can find you, where they can pre-order the album, et cetera, et cetera. Well, the album is called Guarantee, this EP that's going to come out. And 
I'm just so excited about it. You can get it anywhere that you um, listen to music. Um, I'll just add that it's been a really big growth moment for me to step into this arena as a, as a recording artist, one that I've been prepping myself for for a long time, and now the moment is is right. And just, just to all the artists out there that that think about redefining themselves or, or following through on a dream that they haven't, they've had for years, I would say just go for it. You know, you never know. You know, you're you're just a couple strokes of a pen, a couple notes away from realizing a dream. You know, whether you hear a clap or or get a Grammy nod or not, it's not about that. But it feels so good to be releasing my heart um, and saying what I believe, doing the thing that I believe is is one of the big reasons that I'm here for is to just share my heart through music. Um, so I, 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 that's what this moment is for me. Well, Joshua, I'm very grateful that you stopped by. You you had your Broadway debut at 23, and by the time you were 26, you had your first Tony nom. And I'm hoping you release your album this year, and in less than three years, you get that Grammy Award, man. That's what I'm throwing out in the universe. Marcelo, uh, I, I like the sound of that. I like it, speak it, speak it. Yeah, man. I appreciate you stopping by, man. Thank you so much. Great to talk to you, brother. All the best.